0: Well, I see you're mostly still here. At least your bodies are here. The other day I saw a cartoon. It was in elementary school. And there were uh, obviously a young grade and there were these small desks. And underneath each of the desks were people. But they weren't little people. They were full-grown, middle-aged adults. And the caption was, Cold War (laughs) Reenactors. Some of you may remember that. And some of you may be too young. And maybe your parents have told you about it. But um, uh, I remember in our elementary school, I grew up in New Jersey. It was right across from New York City. And we'd have these air raid drills all the time. They were called duck and cover, where you'd get under the desk and put your hands over your head, and you know. And we had this one one janitor, and he used to love just scaring the bejesus out of the kids. I mean, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old kids, <clears throat> and he'd say, "Ah, oh, these drills." And he was an old World War II vet. "Oh, these drills—they won't do anything," you know. "The if the flying glass and the twisted metal don't cut us to pieces, you know, the radiation will," you know, and if, And if the Ruskies launch, they're going to hit New York hard, and that means us. And we'd be there like, oh, no. Those were the good old days. fair amount of fear during the Cold War. Um, But what about now? I mean, there seems to be a growing amount of fear just in the atmosphere. You know, I... I can feel it. I mean, do you know what I mean? When we got this world economy teetering on the brink, the environment's staggering along, barely. Um, there's just a, just a whole lot of fear. So tonight, I want to take a look at fear, and it's a, and it's and it's useful uh, because it's such a powerful primal emotion. If we can begin to get a handle on how to work with fear, it really will help us in working with just about any difficult, challenging emotion—anger, sadness, guilt, shame, doubt, anxiety—you name it. Uh, fear has a lot of power to it, so we're gonna we're gonna take a look at it. I mean, we could spend the whole week looking at fear, but we're just gonna kind of survey it tonight a little bit. And I want to start with with an exercise, uh, a little reflection. So, remaining comfortable or get in a comfortable position, this will just be a couple of minutes. Uh, Close your eyes, if you're comfortable doing that. And I want you to reflect back on a time or a situation where you experienced fear, moderate or light fear. I don't want you to work yourself into a trauma reaction. So just pick, pick one that's not too much. And get a real sense of the situation. Picture the scene Visualize the scene, the location. Try to feel what it's like in your body and in your heart, mind. Just stay with that for a, a moment or two. let see if it's possible to get a sense of the situation. Okay. Anybody? What did you notice? Just shout it out. Quivering. Tight muscles. Dread. Dread. I'm sorry? Thoughts of, being alone. Thoughts of being alone, isolated, holding your breath, holding breath, darkness, darkness. Helplessness. helplessness, anger. anger. No connection to ground. Loss. Loss. Racing thoughts. thoughts. Very active mind. Paralyzed. Okay. That's a, that's a, a pretty full picture of what can be elicited in those situations in body and mind you know and and when we're looking and we're working with all these emotions and fear is no different you know they all if we look into them they all have they all have an, an intelligence um, there's a positive there's a positive um, energy or a positive inclination in, 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 these, in these emotions. And, and sometimes it gets mixed up with um, reactivity and delusion, and then it can create some, some challenges for us. You know, it was Martin Luther King that said that the heart of a social movement is the constructive channeling of anger a constructive channeling of anger. When we look at the Occupy Wall Street you know, events happening across the globe, we can see different manifestations in that. Certainly when, when anger is unbridled uh, and individuals are totally identified with it, it can create a mess. But on the other hand, the most effective social activists are people who can still kind of harness that energy that raw energy uh, of the anger and and aim it towards their particular aims or goals or things that they want to achieve and so with fear the 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 challenge is similar because there is this intelligence in fear it really wants to protect us it wants to protect our organism in some way, and so the whole system can, goes on alert and those characteristics that you describe. When I observe my own fear, and I don't consider myself a particularly fearful person, but there is a, um, a recognition that there is some fear activated almost all the time. It's like there's a, a program going in the background, you know, kind of spinning it. Sometimes it's imperceptible to me, Sometimes of course it spikes. And other times, like, oh yeah, there it is. You know, that that feeling of a slight unsettledness. And it would seem that some of these ingredients of fear, some mix that each of us have, some of it we have in common. And some of it's very specific to our own our own situation. It's almost like a I started to look at it as um, um, the collection and, and the carried fear is like a cake with, with varied layers in it. And the first layer that we mostly, uh, I, can, I think I can safely say we all share this, is the psychobiological, um, neurological level of, of fear. Layer, layer number one, it's imprinted, it's universal. There's some interesting energies that are intertwined there. Uh, there's a love of life, you know, that desire for existence. And it's intertwined with uh, a fear of non-existence. And together that's like our survival instinct, that's like layer number one. The second layer of this collected fear um, that we have. That's where it gets kind of creative, creative and individualized. Uh, I call that the uh, family of origin layer. Foo. You know. Um, uh, like many of you, this is a you know it can, it's my layer is pretty juicy. And you know, and succinctly, my layer goes something like this. Um, my grandfather, Irish immigrant, came here in the late 1880s, married a Mohawk woman from New York State. They had 11 children. Seven of them made it to adulthood. My, my father was the youngest of this brood, and uh, my grandfather died when my father was two. All the children were expected to earn money as soon as they could. None of them went past grammar school. Okay. On my mother's side, uh, her mother died when she was 10. Uh, her father took her out of, out of school to be basically the cleaning woman and cook for her brothers and for him. They stayed in school, the brothers did. Uh, he became depressed, abusive. She showed him. She became pregnant at age 16 with my sister, um, and basically was a single mother during the Depression. It was a challenging thing to be a single mother in the Depression. So these two individuals with their backgrounds, they get, they get together. They meet in 1941, just before the U.S. enters the war. Uh, they get married, my father in uniform, getting ready to ship out. He's with the Fifth Army. Uh, in, in early 1942. He fights his way through Africa, invades Italy with the Fifth Army, works his way up Italy. Uh, I think they still hold the record for most of the Fifth Army for the most consecutive days in combat. It's either 670 straight days or 760. So, this man comes back. They didn't know what post-traumatic stress disorder was. Full-blown, though, in him. And when I look back on my mother's situation, in her also. So this is the family, my family of origin layer that I was born into. And so in that atmosphere, there's a fair amount of tension, you know, (laughs) a fair amount of impatience, you know, fear, um, and occasional light violence. You know, back in those days they used the belt, you know. You also remember my relatives, they say, oh, you should have known your dad before the war, boy, he was something, what a guy, you know. And I go, not the one I knew. <laughs> so, the, so that's the second layer, and it's different for everybody. You have a loving family that just kind of normally neurotic people. It's a really thin layer. For some, it's thick. Uh, third layer, that's fear that accumulates from the bumps and bruises of being alive. Greater and lesser traumas. You get into an accident. You know, you have a serious illness. You know, maybe you're assaulted in some way. I mean, that's pretty severe. So that layer kind of builds. That's the third layer, the bumps and bruises. And the fourth, the fourth layer um, is fear that's deposited uh, by virtue of being a member of some or some form of the underclass. Uh, and, And that being underclass, a group with little or no power. A group exploited or discriminated against because of some characteristic. Race, class, gender, gender orientation, religion, whatever it is. And the effects here can be just as profound as anywhere else any of these other layers. Some people don't have that layer. Some people have a tall layer, you know. So all this fear that gets accumulated in our lives, it really points to that first noble truth. That if you're born, you know, there's going to be some challenges along the way. Will talked about the eight worldly winds. So let's examine some ways to work with this, the, these, these challenging energies because that's also part of the equation, part of the Four Noble Truths, that there is an end to suffering and there is a path to the end of suffering. So fear, using that as the example, but we could use any strong emotion, uh, It's at its most frightening and painful, uh, it completely takes you over. It's like it blots everything out. The whole phenomenological field is filled with it. There's no spaciousness. It's suffocating, you know. And at those times, the first order of business is to try to establish some kind of regulation in the system, some modicum of balance. Change the energy. Get that system a little more regulated. Bring that fear out of the paralysis state. I mean, mindfulness, and and Andrea was talking about it uh, last night, that mindfulness is sometimes not even possible. We're so lost and identified in a particular emotion that we we just need to find some regulation before we can investigate, learn, and kind of work with. And this is where uh, what's known as resourcing can be helpful. You know, you're finding yourself out of balance. Maybe you're beginning to feel, okay, this is heading towards overwhelm. If your mindfulness has a certain little bit of power of it, you may be able to notice this early on. And at that point, and Andrea mentioned this tonight, I'm going to go a little bit deeper into it. Um, uh, You you can put your attention on some neutral or pleasant place in the body if you can find it. So it's like recognizing, uh uh-oh, This is starting to spin. Let me just find someplace that's pleasant or neutral. It could be the palms of your hand, the tip of your nose, your big toe, anything that you can find that's neutral or pleasant. And that becomes the object of meditation. So you just kind of rest your attention there, rest your attention there. Now, if your whole body is activated, which happens sometimes, then you look outside the body. Find something in your environment that... um, that is neutral or pleasant and put your attention there. It could be a plant or a tanka, some artwork or you know whatever feels good to you that becomes your object of meditation. So what's happening while you're doing this? Well it's kind of interesting. It has to do with our nervous system. Uh, the, The sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system work in tandem, the sympathetic nervous system is the part of the nervous system that responds to threat. And it's been a great boon to civilization. It's really helped our, our survival. It puts us on alert for threat. In the old days, saber-toothed tigers, etc., whatever were chasing us. Um, there's a whole series of bodily sensations and happenings that, when the, paras- when the sympathetic nervous system kicks in. And it's hair trigger. You know, it, it, it can just fire up in a second. Now, the parasympathetic nervous system, that's the relaxation response, the regulatory response. And unfortunately, it's slow. It, you know, it just doesn't have the oomph that the sympathetic nervous system does because sympathetic is involved with heavy-duty survival. So, what we're doing here, we are... Uh, part of what we're doing here is we're strengthening that parasympathetic nervous system. So in those moments when we feel like we're getting overwhelmed and we're in a neutral or positive place, we're giving the wisdom of our body a chance to do its thing, to re-regulate the parasympathetic nervous system, kind of tones us down. But here, like in the instructions I gave the other morning about meditating, you know, to re-relax Take your time. Re-relax. Each time we re-relax, we're strengthening the parasympathetic nervous system, that relaxation response, so that it's more robust, more available to us, to bring us back into line from being upset or, or you know, torqued into uh, some kind of trauma reaction. So each time that you re-relax, You're really doing something helpful to your whole system. I can't stress that enough. When fear and some of these other emotions hit overwhelm, you know, any kind of antidote is fair game. A lot of people like to put themselves in nature. One of the reasons I love coming to California is the Redwoods. We don't have those back in Virginia. And there's something about the vibe of a redwood when you stand next to it. I just find it really calming. And it's like a, a, a bass low tone. I can almost feel the wisdom of these old trees. Uh, so nature is one. For other people, it might be an immersion into something beautiful, poetry, art, music. Anushka talked the other night about taking, taking re- the first night about taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. It can be another antidote for fear, just recalling one of those classifications, taking refuge in the historical Buddha or any spiritual figure that we feel close to. Kuan Yin, Jesus, Muhammad, whoever, whatever, that we feel a, a heartfelt connection with. Or taking refuge in just the notion of awakening that it is possible that it is in our capacity and our potential for all of us are taking refuge in your own buddha nature your kind compass- compassionate heart your inherent goodness you know that, that nature that sometimes is covered over by fear by anxiety by sleepiness, by doubt, by these things we call the hindrances. But that inherent Buddha nature is there. And sometimes it's veiled and sometimes it's wide open, radiating. And the Dharma, understanding the teachings of the Buddha. Basically, the teachings of the Buddha are kind of understanding the very nature of nature and getting more in line with it, and not resisting nature so much. Allowing, accepting, kind of moving with the flow. We can bring the wisdom components to fear and these other strong emotions uh, in that understanding of the Dharma. You know, that, that real um, internalized understanding of impermanence. When that starts to, to to take root in us, well then it's obvious What's the point in holding on so tight? Everything's changing and moving. This is, the, this is what nature does. It kind of flows and changes like this. Can we allow and kind of move with it? And the sangha, community of other practitioners, um, another refuge uh, for fear. Even the recollection of, of how other people have dealt with fear in their lives. You know, you think of the lives of Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela or Gandhi. Talk about dealing with fear, working with it. You know, beautiful examples. We can take refuge in that. And we can also take refuge in our friends. Fear feeds on isolation. When we're in an overwhelmed situation, connecting with a friend can be all we need to kind of help get the regulation going. there's a, a the the classic story from the Buddha's time that illustrates the, uh, the what's known as the classic antidote for fear and so as the as the myth goes, the Buddha sends this group of monks deep into the forest to meditate. Well, they happened to choose a place where these tree spirits lived very active tree spirits and so for a while, tree spirits, no problem. These people were, you know, they were quiet. They cleaned up after themselves. They were good campers. But they overstayed their, overstayed their time there. And they became, to the, from the tree spirit's perspective, like the, the relative from hell who never leaves. You know, it's their space. So they wanted to scare them. And those of you that are familiar with being in the forest, you know that tree, uh, tree spirits have a couple of characteristics that can be challenging. One is they can shapeshift into horrible monsters. You know. And the other, and maybe even more terrifying, is they have the capacity to emit horrible odors on demand. So, as the story goes, this is too much for the monks. You know, they just kind of ran out of there, went back to the Buddha and said, "Well, what do we do?" we're just frightened out of our sneakers, you know, we're you know. But what's interesting is what the Buddha didn't tell them to do. He didn't say, get back in there, tough it out. You know, get in there and white knuckle it. And he also didn't say, oh, I'm sorry. Why don't you go down by the river? There's nice river spirits there. They're very friendly. He didn't do that either. He taught them a loving kindness meditation, a loving friendliness. And said, well, okay, go back now that you're skilled in this. Go back. And and do that. So as the story goes, as you can imagine, they went back, and the tree spirits kind of liked this, and they spent lots of time there, and and um, you know everything was hunky-dory. And that is uh, the the beginning of the loving-kindness meditation that we do in, in the evenings here. But what Metta did for them, for those monks on a practical level, it changed. It helped change their internal energy by doing that loving friendliness practice. It filled their hearts with a different type of energy, so they were more able to meet their experience uh, in a more kind of open-hearted, allowing way. The same thing that. That you're endeavoring to cultivate uh, these days here, together in, in our community. I guess it, I guess it was around this time last year, I went on a retreat. In um, it was the Auschwitz Birkenau uh, retreat that's held every every year. Bernie Glassman puts it on, so I went. And it's like five or six days, and go to the concentration camp in Poland. And you sit outside all day long, rain, sleet, snow, different parts of the camp, you meditate, do different practices. So, um, you know, some days, some days in, I decided, well, I really want to experience the camp at night. I wanted to meditate late into the night or all night alone in the camp. So Auschwitz and Birkenau has several sec- sections. Birkenau, if you've ever been there, it's the larger section. It's 450 acres. So I went in the far western corner of it where uh, crematorium number five and the gas chamber number five, the ruins, were. set up my meditation place. I w- it's, a, it's, a, it's a national park so they do make you get out of there at sundown. So I kind of hid out And uh, since it was in the corner, it's a big place. No problem. So I set up my meditation in the corner of the gas chamber ruins that protected me a little bit from the wind. And so I began sitting and walking and sitting and walking. It was a cold night. And the place where I walked was the area where they had um, dumped the cremated remains of hundreds of thousands of people in this one area. This was their major crematorium. And you could still, this many years later, the, the grass was very lush and it had a sponginess to it as you walked, because it was a different configuration of earth. I never quite walked on anything like, like that. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting and walking, sitting and walking, and I start hearing some sounds. And I'm sitting and my idea of being out there was well are there spirits you know you know you hear all these stories about spirits and what is it like and what might what might happen or not happen I'd also done some reading about the flora and fauna in the place and knew that in Poland that there were wild boar there were wild dogs there were uh, even some wolves and so the mind start get active you know, it's like, oh, this is fear. You know, what what is making those sounds? I'd seen a deer earlier. Okay, no big deal. Uh, as, as as the sun was going down, but it was getting late at night. So I'm sitting there and this fear comes up. And I thought of that story, the antidote for fear. And so I started doing loving kindness for all the spirits that may be there that might you know offer them what i could in terms of love and care and and also all the animals that lived in the area and myself and lo and behold the level of fear kind of dropped way down and and as the night went on uh uh it actually was it was it was very beautiful because marbled in with the sense of horror Things that had gone on there was this love, because for the last 65 years, people had been coming there from all over the planet, praying, offering, uh, you know. So there was this uh, beautiful marbled mix. I get chills just thinking of it as, as I sit here. Um, so much love was has been put into that place. You can you can begin to feel it. So it's, it, it's this beautiful mix, truly sacred and hallowed ground. If you're inclined, I think these retreats go on about this time of the year, each year. Let me read you a poem. It's called Fearing Paris by Marcia Truman Cooper. Suppose that what you fear could be trapped and held in Paris. Then you would have the courage to go everywhere in the world. All the directions of the compass open to you except the degrees east or west of true north that lead to Paris. Still, you wouldn't dare put your toes smack dab on the city limit line. You're not really willing to stand on a mountainside miles away and watch the Paris lights come up at night and just to be on the safe side, you decide to stay completely out of France. But the danger seems too close, even to those boundaries. And you feel the timid part of you covering the whole globe again. You need the kind of friend who learns your secret and says, See Paris first. So when you have a little balance, a little regulation in your system, it's time to see Paris firsthand. It's time to actually check out some of the back streets. It's the right time to turn directly toward that challenging emotion. when there's a little regulation there towards fear or whatever it is. That's the courage part of this practice. There's an acronym that that you may have heard of or you may find helpful in in dealing with these challenging emotions and that's RAIN. R A I N. Okay? So, first, you recognize. Oh, this is fear again. Aha. Oh, I know this and you and you may even recognize, oh, this is I'm feeling threatened. It's that kind of fear. Or you may say, oh, this is some old stuff from my foo, my family of origin. That keeps bubbling up. But at the moment of recognition, that relationship to fear has changed. You're not identified in it. You're not lost in it. There is a, a little bit of spaciousness. You know, there's a, a it's, it's a healthier relationship to it. You're right with it but you're not lost in it. The next part, and we've talked about this a lot, we allow and accept that it's here. That, okay, here it is. It's the weather. Got to, you know, going to work with it. And the wise understanding kind of holds all that and knows, hey, this is no more permanent than anything else in this creation. But it's here now. Ah, So this is fear. Fear is like this. So that's the A. The I part has to do with becoming intimate with it, an investigation of it. I, I. You know, where does it manifest in the body? Kind of grounding there, always a good place to start when we're working with these challenging emotions you know and whether it's anger fear some of these strong emotions noticing if we're if we've kind of glommed on to some object outside us oh i'm so mad at that person i'm so you know fearful of this or that so we withdraw our attention and notice our very direct experience of whatever that phenomena is—we feel it in the body—and then we check out what, what's what's going on in the mind and the heart. Also, you know what's what's that about? What are you telling yourself? What are you believing right now when this is up and arising? Remember, we're not trying to change anything. We're just exploring. You know, if you reflect on it, fear is mostly about the future. What's going to happen? You know, and and when we're listening to the the tape that may be playing, you know, what is it? Is it an old one of those old tapes? You know, that's telling you that oh, you're a you're a loser. You know, it's you know, it's not going to work for you. It's you know, whatever that tape may be, and. Do you believe it? So we investigate. We become intimate with that entire run of fear. We may be, as our mindfulness grows and gets stronger, we catch it earlier and earlier. Whatever the emotion is, we notice it. It's kind of starting to rise up out of the seed bed. It blooms. It has its time. It's gone. You know, and the N, the the acronym N. Is for non identification. So, meaning if you've established a, uh, this different relationship to the emotion, uh, you're not likely to be lost in it or as lost in it. There's less identification with it. And when you complete a round like this, you know, it's a beautiful thing because it builds confidence. You know, and this practice is so much about, okay, this emotion comes up and I'm with it, I'm allowing it. It's unpleasant, it's intense. And oh gosh, I've seen it through. You know, I, I used to not be able to do that. I would just freak out and get overwhelmed. And now, look at that. And so as this practice matures and grows, our, our boundaries of what we can handle and what's acceptable get extended and extended and extended And I truly believe that there is a time and we all have the capacity to at some point think, you know, maybe I can handle any physical thing, any emotional thing that comes my way, bar none. So we work on this over and over. It's like we don't just solve fear, you know, we get the opportunity to work with it as it comes up over and over. And some of these uh, emotions are kind of so, kind of woven into our existence that we get the, uh, this great opportunity to work with them for uh, a long period of time. It's a tall cake. I want to do a little uh, another reflection with you that I usually don't do with uh, beginners, and I know there's a lot of beginners here. But you're a different kind of beginner. Anybody who's a beginner and comes to a ten-day course, they get a special asterisk. You know, it's like beginner and either courageous or crazy or something. You know. So let's let's try this. And uh, they're called the Five Daily Recollections. Some of you have been around for a while know what they are. But the Buddha offered these to uh, his, his students as a way of helping them really just kind of be with what's real about being in this life. What's real about nature. And I started doing them about 10 years ago. And I and it really has reduced the amount of fear in my life. And so what I'd like to do, and this won't take very long, I'll just say these reflections, and you just contemplate them and allow them to affect you. And just see what comes up. And it's like, a, it's like we're working in our little laboratory. So something may or may not come up. Oh, can we be with it and just allow it and watch it? Etc., we can change the channel anytime we want because this is our little laboratory. So, the first one is I am of the nature to age and decay, I have not gotten beyond aging and decay. I am of the nature to age and decay. I have not gotten beyond aging and decay. Second one. I am of the nature to be ill or injured. I have not gotten beyond illness or injury. I am of the nature to be ill and injured. I have not gotten beyond illness and injury. Third one, you can probably imagine this one. I am of the nature to die. I have not gotten beyond death. I am of the nature to die. I have not gotten beyond death. The fourth one's my favorite. Everything dear and delightful to me will change and vanish. Everything dear and delightful to me will change and vanish. And the fifth one's of a slightly different vein. It has more to do with cause and effect. I am the heir to my actions. I am supported by my actions. I am related to my actions. Everything that I think, say, and do I will inherit. I am the heir to my actions. I am supported by my actions. I am related to my actions. Everything I think, say, and do, that I shall inherit. So you see how, and the way I the way I utilize this is I'll meditate, I'll settle into whatever, however settled I'm going to be, and at some point during the meditation, I'll reflect on either all of these or one of these, allow whatever emotions are that are there, and just be with them. It, you can see the gravity of the truth involved in these recollections, and why the Buddha recommended them. Uh, to his students. So again, it's, a, it's an offering. You might say, no way. Or you might say, well, maybe I'll try that. Or I'll try one of them. You know, Not a requirement, just an offering. It can be helpful to look at all the little or smaller types of fears that we have in our life. You know, there's a lot of fear that we carry without even noticing it. There's um, one of our colleagues talks about a, um, uh, 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 a person that, um, I think they're an educator, and they were doing a unit on fear in their school. And they decided, that part of it to make it come alive, that they wrote on their van, painted on their van, all the things to be afraid of. Now, let me read you the the list. And when I read you the list, um, just notice if your meter moves at all, your little fear meter, or whether it's just flatline. Be afraid of conservatives. (laughs) Be afraid of liberals. Be afraid of corporations. Be afraid of environmentalists. Be afraid of guns. Be afraid of gun control. Be afraid of abortions, be afraid of banning abortions, be afraid of pit bulls, be afraid of the weather, be afraid of strangers, bad credit, molds, computer viruses, be afraid of low consumer confidence. Be afraid of terrorist attacks on airplanes, buses, subways, trains, nuclear plants, water systems, the food distribution system, government buildings, financial institutions, national monuments, and sports stadiums. Be afraid of bad breath. The sun of weighing too much, of weighing too little. Be afraid of wrinkles, bird flu, swine flu, regular flu high gas prices, inflation, deflation, recession, depression. Be afraid of crime. Be afraid of weapons of mass destruction and dirty bombs. Be afraid of losing your individual rights. Be afraid of mad cow disease. Identity theft. Be afraid of no growth. Be afraid of too much growth. Be afraid of homosexuality, be afraid of heterosexuality, fundamentalists, atheists, be afraid of shark attacks, losing your mind, getting older, of dying, split ends, and nostril hair. (laughs) It's like a whole basket and robin. Did your needles move at all for any of those? Just a little bit? Maybe just the nostril hair, you know. Now, I don't mean to slight these. There are forces in the, in the world that are powerful and we need to be concerned about. Possibility of pandemic, economic, environmental collapse, wars, discrimination, exploitation. I mean, these are serious things. And to the best of our ability, you know, in, in whatever whatever we're inclined to do, to do what we can to alleviate these things. But even when physical damage is done to you personally, the Buddha's argument is that your spiritual life is in your hands and that what you do, how you respond to what happens to you can be the conditions for suffering or can be the conditions for liberation and happiness. The point here is that what you have to fear is not so much the conditions of the world to be fearful of, but how your mind responds to them. The activities of your own mind. A trained heart and mind in this practice is going to be better able to respond in a definitive, creative, skillful way. When Aung San Suu Kyi said the only real prison is fear and the one real freedom is freedom from fear, she was espousing the Buddhist idea of freedom. We have in, this, in our culture, we have all kinds of freedoms that we can exercise. We can mostly exercise freedom of speech. We can vote whether you think it's worth it or not. We can vote. We can shop. We can do all kinds of things, um, but the but the Buddhist concept of freedom is it's not freedom to do something, it's freedom from. It's freedom from any and all compulsions, or addictions. You know, compulsions to shop or eat or whatever we might have, so that you're not driven by forces that you don't choose. That's part of what this practice is about. That's part of the freedom that's available here. It's freedom from the forces of habit. And when you think about it, we can all reflect on you know, certain habits that we have that maybe we don't want to roll with for our whole life, that we might like to not be under the control of. I mean, unexplored fears, uh, you know, operating below the surface, they can, they kind of pile up in the subconscious. They can reduce the possibility of having an ease in the world as we go through it. They can lower our creativity, lower our energy, and lower our capacity to love. You know, these kind of unacknowledged fears can kind of eat away at that. We're just... It's so tight and everything's armored. We're just unable to love completely. Uh, The Persian poet Hafiz says, Fear is the cheapest room in the house. I'd like to see it in better quarters. So as your practice matures and as you probe deeper, you touch into the very core teachings of what the Buddha was teaching you touch into the very nature of ignorance. And the, the, the Buddhist conception of ignorance is a large part has to do with this thinking or this belief that we're a separate solidified self doing battle with the rest of creation. And that that solid separate self needs to be protected and defended all the time. Uh, Stephen Batchelor, uh, he's an ex-monk and scholar, he says this, Fear is the emotional counterpart to ignorance. When there is a deep not knowing of who we are, thinking that we are separate and not connected, there will always be a strong natural corollary to that. And that corollary is fear. So a lot of fear is carried by this strong sense of a separate embattled self. And with that sense of a separate embattled self, there is this compunction to try to overly control um, experiences, situations, and other people. And that if you're not able to control everyone and everything, somehow you're just not going to measure up. It's not going to work out. It won't be good enough. So as we explore, as we're doing this week, the truth truth of our nature and kind of poke holes in this ignorance around this separate self, feeling that kind of openness and that flow a little more, that sense of self kind of reduces, gets a little weaker, gets some air in it, and fear goes right along with it. Reduces. And it needs to be mentioned that just as most of us individually carry some measure of unresolved pain from the fast, uh, so do cultures unacknowledged, unresolved fear. In this particular culture that we're we're living in, um, we carry a a fairly huge amount of this unacknowledged and unresolved uh, pain uh, in a collective sense. The pain of the legacy of slavery in this country, the pain of the legacy of the almost complete genocide of our native peoples, The links and the pain of the oppression of uh, minority groups. Women, gays, you know, there's a list. It's very sad. But our country's not alone in this for sure. Any student in world history knows this is like commonplace. And this all kind of kind of roils below the surface and it leaks out in various aggressive ways. Most commonly, it's the fear of the other. You know, just think of all the pain that that's caused, the fear of the perceived other. So each of us carries some unresolved stuff. Each of us has a story. Each of us has a cake of various flavors and size. But over time, we can really learn to be present with what's difficult. With this application of this kindly, careful mindfulness and, and equanimity, this soft allowing and accepting of as we develop this countenance this way of being in the world. There can be a healing and we can learn to navigate our world in a fuller way without having to repress or suppress challenging emotions, our stuff, our stories. So tonight we took a little look at fear, just kind of hit the surface of it. It's a very rich area to explore. Looked at some resources and antidotes. Looked at the acronym RAIN. You know, when we have enough balance to work with it, with this mindfulness practice, when we can investigate and learn and develop a, a, a new relationship to these powerful emotions, these large and small emotions, whatever they may be. And from that confidence, from moving through those cycles one time after another, just like you're doing each day, each, thing that, each weather system that comes through, gain the confidence, have the capacity to live more freely, more wisely, and more open-heartedly. That's our practice. So let's, let's sit a moment. This is a poem called Allow. There's no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Dam a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild with the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and successes. When loss rips off the doors of the heart or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. Thanks for your kind attention. And we have a half hour for walking meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.